Hello and welcome to Blase Blah Film Chat, where I share my thoughts on black cinematic works that are both little known and well known. I decided to start this podcast out of my sheer love for the art of filmmaking, especially that which comes from the black perspective. It's been a bit of a hobby of mine to write film reviews that I share with my friends and family on social media, and I finally decided to try something new and bring my film analysis to the podcast world. I mean, why not? One more podcast on SoundCloud isn't going to hurt anybody. At least that's, you know, what I tell myself. So with that being said, I'd like to get started with discussing the first film on my inaugural episode called Dirty Gertie from Harlem, USA. It was released in 1946 and directed by Spencer Williams. Williams was also an actor best known for playing Andy on the Amos and Andy show. Now I've heard about how problematic the show was because of its negative portrayal of black people having first started out as a radio show that actually featured two white men in the roles of Amos and Andy. When the show was adopted for adopted to television, the black actors that were cast in the the roles of um, Amos and Andy were encouraged, if not forced, to continue the sort of minstrel type acting that the radio show had made popular. So I was pleasantly surprised to find out that Williams was also a filmmaker. Being a black actor in the 40s, I can imagine that there were not many options for black actors. So Spencer Williams likely felt a need to take a role like Andy in Amos and Andy due to the lack of opportunities for black actors of the time. But it appears that he also sought to tell black stories in a more nuanced way by directing. So that's something that I think should be applauded and recognized. So let's get into Dirty Gertie from Harlem, USA. It follows the story of a singer and slash slash, um, stripper. That's what I'll, I'll say. Or exotic performer. Who has abandoned heard a show in New York City because she's running away from something. It wasn't quite obvious what she was running from. It possibly had to do with a relationship gone sour. However, the film opens with jumping jazz music of the time and Gertie, she arrives on a small fictitious Caribbean island if I remember, it's called Kennedad Island. There is a welcome ceremony for Gertie in front of the Paradise Hotel. She is met with mixed feelings by the locals as there are soldiers and marines who can't wait to see her sultry performance. But then on the other hand, there's a Bible-thumping preacher who is convinced Gertie is nothing but a bad influence coupled with bad morals 
and makes it his mission to stop her performance after he catches her in front of that very paradise hotel kissing both a sailor and marine at the same time or back to back let's say Gertie and her background dancers make themselves at home at this local boutique which is less than ideal accommodations with them being there in pretty much cramped quarters Gertie and the showgirls background dancers they are managed by a character named Diamond Joe who is a sharp and witty type of a cat that is smitten with Gertie and showers her with gifts however she doesn't seem to be that into him they all eventually make it to rehearsal for their big debut show on the island Gertie is haunted by a sense of familiar familiarity of the house piano player have they met before Furthermore, Gertie goes into a rage when she hears a song that the piano player plays at rehearsal, which brings back harsh memories. We eventually learn that the piano player was friends with one of Gertie's ex-lovers named Al, whom she broke his heart and left his life in shambles. Gertie's troubles are foreshadowed by a local psychic that she visits and who is actually played by Spencer Williams in drag. I guess that's, that would be the appropriate way to describe it. The psychic, she warns Gertie to go home because she sees a man is after Gertie in her crystal ball. However, Gertie decides not to heed the advice of the psychic and goes on with the show anyway. The night of the big show arrives and Gertie and Entourage push ahead with the show. The opening number starts with the backup dancers or showgirls on stage all in very beautiful gowns. They aren't coordinated um, but still they you know they look lovely for the times. They're all doing a little shimmy shake. I guess, you know, maybe this is the, the Charleston. I think that was the popular dance back in the day. Um, I, I, would, I would have to admit, I was a bit disappointed just because there was so much talk and lead up to this big show that I thought I would be wowed. Instead, the dancers, I felt like they could have used a bit of choreography. However, there was a tap dancing duo who came on stage and did their thing. And they were actually awesome. If I had to describe them, I would say think the Nicholas brothers. I don't believe I don't believe these were the Nicholas brothers. And maybe, you know, their their choreogra choreography wasn't so elaborate, but you know, it it was definitely a nice um a nice showing. Eventually, Gertie, she comes on stage and does a tame striptease, removing her arm warmers, 
Um, before she can go any further, the preacher bombards the stage and stops the show. Everything comes to a head when her scorned lover Al shows up on her balcony and takes her life in a passion killing. So that pretty much sums up the film. And I would have to say there are several interesting things about this film that stood out to me. I love that Gertie was a man-eater. To see such a liberated woman in the 1940s was very refreshing on film. When I think of the 40s, I mean, I guess maybe there was imagery of women being carefree in, say, the film version of The Great Gatsby. I believe they had one can't, uh, there have been several versions of The Great Gatsby, but I'm pretty sure one was made in the 40s. Even though The Great Gatsby was written in the 20s. But either way, I, I still feel like the average woman of, you know, the 40s was more conservative. Or, you know, more conservative in, in morals and, and that sort of thing. So it was refreshing to see this free-spirited, liberated black woman. But, like I said earlier, there's a scene where she's passionately kissing us. You know, there's a soldier on her, a sailor on her left. She kisses him, then turns to her right, kisses... Um, the marine all in the mouth on the right in front of the hotel with not a care in the world she didn't cower to the preacher's chastising of her actions after you know he saw her because he's for whatever reason he's always lurking about and not only does she not cower she actually challenges him you know as if you know, to say maybe he's suppressing some feelings of his own. So again, I just thought that was very forward thinking to a subject matter to have in a film discussion, you know, back then. And that's something that would even be, you know, groundbreaking to have in a film today. So technically, I was very impressed with this this film in that aspect. I also say this film technically the the technical quality is pretty good, mind you. This is a film made in the forties, as I said. So stylistically, it's filled with the old school dissolves between scenes, and that's something I really I really love. I love the look of you know, two images laid over each other, you know, fading to fade in, in and out of the scenes, or to show, you know, which are also used to show the lapse of time. The te technique, it's still used today, of course, but the older films utilize dissolves more, and it just, I guess, is nostalgic to me. It's a tool of film film language that taps into a viewer's psyche, giving you a feeling of being transported to another place, 
or time, you know, and so that's just something that I really like about this film. The sets are pretty simple and basic. It looks like the generic sets thrown up on, you know, the Paramount studio lots back in the day. The scenes are well lit and the sound great. And for those who have gone to film school, you know that shooting on black and white film can be a bit, you know, hard when it comes to lighting. So, so again, that's just an aspect of the film that I can really appreciate. I'm not sure what the budget for this film would have been. It's not gone with the wind type of elaborate of a budget, but it seems like it's on par for a mid-level budget film of the time. The scene I love the most has to be the last one, which I think is also the most intense of the film. I love the suspenseful tone set as Gertie turns on the record player after she's back in her room from her disastrous show. She walks over to the balcony. The camera moves in to show the foreshadowing of some type of harm or uneasiness as the moonlight casts down on Gertie. If you've ever shot on black and white film, which I, I have a little bit of experience with um, back in my film school days, then you know that it can be very hard to set up lighting, but when it's done right, it just looks really good. It gives the film, you know, I guess a sort of richness and extra dimension. So sure enough, Al appears on her balcony as Gertie examines herself in the mirror. The camera shot also shows Al in the mirror emerging behind her. Once she realizes who he is, she pleads with him um, that, you know, maybe they can run away from, with each other. But Al, he has no mercy and shoots her, even though he claims that he loves her. So, you know, again, just that, even that shot, you know, with her, you know, in the mirror. And then, you know, you kind of see Al... Um, the shot never changes and you just see Al creeping up over the balcony and then lurking behind her until she realizes it and it's too late. That is just a sign of just a good, you know, directing decision, which I think Spencer Williams deserves credit for. Now... As much as I love certain aesthetics of this last scene, I have to admit I didn't love the moralistic messaging that the film ultimately had. Because you're reminded that this was indeed the 40s, so there had to be consequences for a woman like Gertie. Free-spirited and sexually free and not committed to a man. The only thing that could be done with this type of woman is to do what? Shoot her. 
if she can't be the property of Diamond Joe or Al, then apparently she had to die. So in that aspect, it was kind of a letdown for me to go from seeing this vibrant, free spirit ultimately be punished by her ex-lover who couldn't just move on. But all in all, I, I really enjoyed this black cinematic piece of work. It's a part of the pioneers of African American cinema collection, which is compromised, which is comprised of several early African American films. With that being said, I'd like to thank you for listening, and I hope you listen in for more of my thoughts on other films. Until next time. <laughs>